Thanks for listening to the Journey Christian Church podcast. We're on a mission to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. Our prayer is that this message encourages you today. And remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible. So last Sunday, uh, we began a message series called Journey to Hope. And it's a series about how the gospel of Jesus and the community of the church can minister to those suffering from mental illness. And if you missed last Sunday, I urge you to go to our website, to go to our YouTube channel and watch it. Because we believe this series is important for two reasons. Number one, as followers of Jesus, we want to be about what he was about. And what Jesus was about was this. Jesus stood with those who suffer. Jesus stood with those who suffer. At the beginning of his public ministry, Jesus said he came to preach good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, free the captives, and release prisoners from darkness. Those would be the unmistakably un, uh, identifying marks of his messianic ministry. And if you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, are going to be like our Messiah, we need to stand with people who suffer. And some of the people who suffer the greatest in our society are people living with mental illness. The second reason this series is important is because it's personal. It's personal for my family but not just for my family. It's personal for many of you and your families, and I know that because you told me. The conversations, the emails, the text, and the notes that my wife and I have received this past week has been overwhelming, and I mean that in a good way. So many of you have shared uh, your deeply felt appreciation for us sharing our story, because in so many ways, it's many of your stories as well. And some have said, Pastor John, you were so brave and courageous in what you shared, but I want to say the reality is it is my wife who is the brave and courageous one. And if anybody should be thanked for what I shared last week, it should be her. And that was not easy for her, but we have learned that God can't use your story if you never share your story. And where silence, the stigma will remain where silence is maintained. One person wrote me and said to me, today was the first time I've ever felt validated as a person with depression and anxiety in church. Hearing from my pastor say that it's okay not to be okay, even if you've forgotten what it feels like to be okay, allowed me and many others to feel seen. And I just want to say to you here in Apopka in Lake County and online, we see you. And more importantly, Jesus sees you and he loves you. And he wants you to know you're not defined by your diagnosis and you are not alone. Many of us, many of us have earnestly prayed that this series will be the catalyst to change the way we talk about mental illness and mental wellness in the church and begin to erase the stifling stigma and stereotypes that unnecessarily add to the burden of those suffering from a mental illness. Now, last week as I closed, 
I listed some primary contributing causes to the stigma, and one of them was lack of understanding. Mental illness, by its very nature, is difficult to understand. Mental disorders aren't diagnosed in the same way doctors do with other diseases. There is no blood test for depression. There is no genetic screening for anxiety because we diagnose mental illness mostly by observing behavior as opposed to running tests in the lab and observing human behavior is far, far from an objective task. However, there are some factors that are prominently at play when it comes to determining not only our mental health, but our identity. And I want to talk to you about that today by using a deck of cards. Now, let me just ask, has anybody ever played the game Euchre? You ever played the game Euchre? It's kind of a Midwest thing. I doubt if you've played it. It was popular in Kentucky and Ohio. Uh, Euchre was a card game my family loved to play, especially my dad. When I would come home to visit for any length of time, my dad would eventually say, better play a game of cards, hadn't we? Some of my most treasured memories are playing Euchre with my two brothers and my dad. And if you aren't familiar with the game, I'm not going to explain it to you. You can Google it. It's really not that complicated. But one of the fundamental rules of the game is this. You have to play the cards you're dealt. So in Euchre, you're dealt five cards, and you don't get to mix and match them. You don't get to say, I don't like this hand. I, wanna, I want another hand. You can only play the five cards that you were dealt. And whether you play the game uh, of Euchre or other card games, this is a metaphor for life. There are some things that you've been dealt in life. You didn't choose them. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose when you were born. You didn't choose where you were born. You didn't choose how you were born. You didn't choose your race. You didn't choose your talents. You didn't choose the talents that you don't have. There are a lot of things that make you, you, that you had no choice or voice in at all. They were the hand that you were dealt. And you have to play the hand you were dealt. If you want to understand who you really are, there are at least five fundamental identity factors that make you, you. And I want to talk about them today, and I want to credit Pastor Rick Warren, who uh, created a lot of this material that I'm going to be sharing with you today. So let's talk about the first card that you've been dealt that makes you you. This is your chemistry. This is the biological factors. This is your chemistry, your biological factors. This is your chromosomes. This is your DNA. This is your genes. This is your hormones. It's your chemical makeup. You see, at the most basic biological level, it's you and your body, and I don't know anybody who doesn't have a somewhat complicated relationship with their body. Pete Cazero says this, Jesus may live in your heart, but grandpa lives in your bones. <laughs> Every one of us have structural and chemical weaknesses in our bodies that were handed to us genetically. Some of us wear glasses at least I do now, 
Some of us have weak eyesight. Some of you have been wearing glasses all year. It's not right or wrong. It's just part of the way you were wired. Some of us don't hear as well. My oldest daughter was born with a severe hearing loss. We didn't realize it until she was four. When Anna was born, we lived right beside a train track that came through every four or five hours, and Anna slept right through it. We just thought she was a really good sleeper. <laughs> Turns out she couldn't hear it. She's worn hearing aids since she was four. It's not right or wrong. No one is at fault. It's just how she's wired. Several years ago, I started having tinnitus. And some of you know what that is. That's a constant ringing in your ears. I went to an ear, nose, and throat doctor who sent me to an audiologist to get my hearing tested. And after the test, the doctor gave me this incredibly complex diagnosis. He said to me, you have an aging inner ear. I thought, well, don't we all? Basically, I paid you to tell me I'm getting older? Did you go to medical school for that doctor? All of us have biological and chemical deficiencies. Some we're born with, some develop over time, and these create emotional problems. They can create physical problems, and they can create mental problems in our lives. If you have low thyroid, you can exercise all you want. You're still not going to have enough energy because your thyroid's low. Your thyroid needs treatment. It's a physical, chemical condition. If you have a calcium deficiency in your body, you're going to have brittle bones. I don't care how positively you think your brittle bones are going to make you more susceptible to a dangerous fall than someone that doesn't have that condition. If you are low on a hormone, estrogen or testosterone, if you have an iron deficiency, it's going to affect you emotionally, mentally, as well as physically. One of the most fascinating chemicals is called oxytocin. Oxytocin is the chemical that creates connection. It is the chemical that bonds you to other people. It's the relationship chemical that allows you to connect with others. Oxytocin is released in a mother when she nurses a baby. When a woman holds a baby to her breast, it releases oxytocin, not only in the baby, but in the mother, and it's a bonding chemical that binds mother to her baby. It's an amazing thing that God has put into our bodies. When a husband and wife make love, when they have sex, it releases oxytocin in both the husband and the wife, and it bonds them emotionally together. That's why sex and marriage is so powerful and important. It's also the reason why God says don't have sex with anybody outside of marriage because you're going to be bonding emotionally to that person who's not your mate and you're going to leave a piece of your heart there and that can create all kinds of emotional problems. That's why rejection and unfaithfulness hurts so much because sex is not simply a physical act. It's an emotional and spiritual connection. They've even discovered that 20 minutes of petting a dog releases oxytocin in both the owner and the dog and bonds the dog and the owner together. And that's why we have this little guy right here. That is Puffy the Poodle. I obviously did not name him. Puffy's parents are Johnny Cash and Paris Hilton. That's the name of the dog. I'm not making that up. The sire is Johnny Cash. The dame is uh, 
uh, Paris Hilton. I wanted to name him Willie Nelson. I lost. If you don't have enough oxytocin in your body, you're going to have a difficult time connecting with people and trusting people. It's simply part of your chemistry. It's the way you were wired. Now, this next statement is really, really important, so I want you to listen closely. A chemical deficit is not a sin. Some of you need to hear that. A chemical deficit is not a sin. In my physical body, in my biology, in my chemistry, no chemical deficit or disorder in me is shameful or sinful. It's just how you're wired. In this way, mental illness is no different than physical illness. Mental illness has a chemical component. Mental illness is no more to be ashamed of than having heart disease. Ten years ago, I lost a lot of weight. I got in the best shape of my life in 2012, ten years ago. And yet when I went for my physical, my cholesterol was too high. My diet was good. I was exercising more than ever. But every blood draw kept showing my cholesterol was very high. They even did a screening to see if my cholesterol particles were large and dense or small and less dense. Mine was the bad kind, whatever that is. After a few years of the same result, the doctor said, I recommend you take a statin medication. I resisted. I didn't want to take a statin. But eventually I agreed and my cholesterol got in a healthier range. It's a genetic hereditary condition. It's not sinful. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Now I can do some things that make my cholesterol better or worse, but it's a biological predisposition. Could you imagine saying to someone struggling with high cholesterol, get over it? Or saying to someone who has blocked arteries in their heart, snap out of it. But we do that with people who have brain disorders all the time. Friends, everything in our bodies suffers from some effect of our human brokenness. And there's a chemistry behind it. Mental illness issues are complicated. And there are no magic pills that will cure each and every disorder or problematic situation. That said, I like how Ryan Casey Waller put it. He said there are biological conditions that require pharmacological interventions. There are certain conditions for which medication can be very helpful when appropriately prescribed and regularly monitored by trained professionals. I want you to listen to me very carefully right now. Brain chemistry is the most important biological factor that impacts our mental health. Since our brains are necessarily involved in every action of our bodies, it stands to reason that brain function would affect mental health. But let me make the understatement of the year. The brain is a mega complicated organ. The exact nature of how our most complex organ influences our mental health remains to this day one of life's greatest mysteries. However, we also know that a person's mental health can deteriorate as a result of a chemical imbalance in the brain. Best theory of that goes something like this. 
Neurons in the brain communicate with one another via chemical messengers called neurotransmitters. In order for the brain to function optimally, the levels of various neurotransmitters need to be properly maintained. Consequently, if a person's brain runs a deficit of a specific neurotransmitter, mental health problems can arise. Now, you may not be familiar with the term neurotransmitter, but you most likely know a few of them by name. Anybody here ever hear of dopamine? Not dope, dopamine. <laughs> dopamine is responsible for that rush of excitement you feel when social media notifications blow up your phone because of your latest post. You go, ooh. <laughs> anybody, here ever, anybody here ever hear of serotonin? Serotonin is a chemical that pretty much regulates your life, your, your mood, social behavior, sexual desire, memory and sleep, when our brains are out of balance with any of these neurotransmitters, it can, doesn't necessarily, but it can lead to mental illness, or maybe a better way to say it is brain sickness. I agree with the guy who said this, the brain is complex, if not unfathomable. I believe the human brain is one of the single greatest pieces of evidence to support what the scripture writer declares. In Psalm 139, he said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Here's another translation of that. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Before I go to the next point, I want you to turn to somebody right now and just say to them, I am wonderfully complex. Go ahead and tell them right now. Say, I am wonderfully complex. Do it at Lake County. All right. The first characteristic in your life that makes you, you, is your biology, your body, your chemistry. The second thing that determines your identity is your connections. And these are sociological factors. My connections are the relationships in my life. We are a product of our relationships, especially of those relationships in our earliest formative years. Now, those relationships may have been good. They may have been difficult. They may have been healthy. They may have been unhealthy. Maybe they were non-existent. Maybe they were abusive. But whatever they were, we are a product of our relationships, particularly those early in life relationships. Study after study has shown that your identity, how you see yourself is largely determined by what you think the most important people in your life think of you. What you think the most important people in your life think of you tends to determine your self-image, your self-esteem, your self-concept. And I want to say, that's why it's so important to make sure Jesus is the most important person in your life because he's going to love you unconditionally and he's going to tell you the truth. So the connections in your life, your relationships help determine your identity. My connections give my life meaning. My connections give my life purpose. If you grew up feeling disconnected from other people, then you probably have a hard time finding meaning in your life. You'll have a hard time with purpose in your life. People who have really healthy connections don't spend a lot of time asking themselves, does my life matter? They hardly ever ask that. They know their life matters because there's a lot of healthy relationships in their life. But if you feel disconnected or if you feel dysfunction in your relationships, it affects your identity. It affects your meaning and purpose. Why? Because life is all about relationships. One day, Jesus was approached by a guy. And he comes up and he essentially says, Lord, what is life 
all about? What's the greatest commandment a person can live by? What does God really want us to do here? And Jesus essentially says to him, life is about love. It's not about accomplishment. It's not about acquisition. It's not about popularity or power, prestige. Life is about love. It's about relationships. And Jesus said, you can summarize all of life in two sentences. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. Be connected to God. Be connected with each other. Be in harmony with God. Be in harmony with people. Life is all about love. It's all about relationships. And if you don't understand this, then you're going to wonder why life lacks meaning. This is what we've called the great commandment. Now, in the second factor in my life, in my connections card, there are three problems that quickly emerge. One we talked about last week. We say it a lot around here. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Everybody say that with me right now. Nobody's perfect. Everybody's messed up. Normal is a medium-sized city in Illinois, or it's a, town, it's a setting on a dishwasher. But normal is what we think each other is until we get to know one another. And since we're all imperfect, there's no perfect relationships. This causes problems in our lives. So we hurt each other. We have conflict with each other. We have tension. We misunderstand each other. The second factor about this card, sin disconnects. Disconnects us from God. All have sinned and fallen short. We're separated from God. And it disconnects us from each other. We can see this in the original couple, Adam and Eve. They're in a perfect environment. They had no conflict. They had no disharmony. And God says, you can do anything you want in this beautiful, diverse garden I made for you. Only one thing you can't do. Don't eat the fruit from this one tree. God didn't give them a hundred things not to do. He didn't even give them 10 things not to do. He gave them one. Why did he give them one? Because it's not love if you don't have a choice. If I can't choose not to love you, if I'm forced to love you, it's not love. So God gave them the minimum temptation, one thing. You can do anything but this one thing. And what did they do? They headed for the one thing they're not supposed to do. And afterward, God confronts them about their sin, and Adam takes it like a man, and he blames his wife. <laughs> God says, what did you do, Adam? He said, Lord, the woman you gave me gave me the fruit to eat. Notice, he's not only blaming Eve, he's indirectly blaming God. The woman you gave me, I didn't put her here. <laughs> you brought this woman into my life, Lord. Therefore, it's kind of really your fault. And he starts blaming. And we've been doing that ever since, accusing and excusing. We accuse others, we excuse ourselves. We accuse others, we excuse ourselves. We hide our faults, we hurl our accusations. We've been doing it ever since. This affects your connections. And once they sin, they not, they not only feel disconnected from God, Adam and Eve suddenly feel disconnected from each other. What does the story say? It says they sewed clothing out of fig leaves and they covered themselves up. Who told them to cover up? God didn't. Who told them it was wrong to be naked? God didn't. Who told them they had to hide from each other in their marriage? God didn't. Sin did that. And we've been covering up ever since. Our vulnerabilities, our defects, our flaws, we're not real with each other. We fake it even with those we love the most. That's what sin does. It causes us to cover up. And people have been covering up ever since, not just physically, but emotionally. But here's a third problem. 
with this connections card. The more disconnected I am, the more fearful I become. The more disconnected I am, the more fearful I become. Fear comes from disconnection. When I feel disconnected from God, I fear God. When I feel disconnected from you, I fear you. When I feel disconnected at a party, I fear everybody at the party. Disconnection causes fear. And if you grew up feeling disconnected, you have a hard time trusting other people. It's part of the way your identity's been formed. And what happens is we get caught in this terrible dilemma. We crave connection, but we fear making connections. In other words, we crave intimacy, but we fear vulnerability. Vulnerability is the only way you get intimacy. We want one without the other. That deep soul searching, that heart-to-heart that -heart connection where I'm totally understood and you totally get me and we accept each other and we love each other. We all crave that, but we fear the vulnerability that we need to demonstrate to get us there. We crave acceptance. We fear rejection, and that forms your identity. Let's move on. Here's a third card that, ma third card that makes you you. This is your circumstances. And these are cultural factors. Writer and theologian Frederick Beekner made this profound statement I ran across recently, and I want, us to I want you to read it. Beekner said, when we're born into the world, there is simultaneously a world born into us. Now, we could just stop right there, and you should just pause and reflect on that. That is a powerful statement. When you were born into the world, simultaneously, a world was born into you. We're immersed into cultural context that affect our innermost beings, shaping what we know, how we think, what we take for granted, and what we struggle to accept. Now listen, we naturally assume that what is, is what was meant to be. That's a lot to think about. There are things that happen to you, and there are things that happen around you that were not always in your control. You didn't choose your chemistry. You didn't choose your initial connections, and you certainly haven't chosen all the circumstances of your life. You're a product of the traumas and troubles in your life. You're a product of the suffering and the shame and the shock and the stress around you. Problems shape your life. Pressures shape your life. Pain shapes your life. Certain life experiences can trigger mental illness or at very least contribute to its development. Researchers call these events risk factors. Rarely does a risk factor present itself as a single incident, although it can in some cases of sexual assault or other severe forms of trouble, but rather, usually, it's through multiple experiences that influence us in any told untold number of ways. While not exhaustive, some of the more common risk factors are these. Abuse, addiction, chronic illness, divorce, family violence, poverty, trauma, illiteracy, loneliness, learning difficulties, pessimism, racism, poor diet, sexual assault, terminal illness, having a family member or spouse with a severe mental illness. If you have experienced a crisis, a catastrophe, or a condition like one of those risk factors, there, these are things that will leave scars on your identity. It's part of what you were dealt in life, and it's closely related to this fourth card, this fourth factor that makes you you. And this is a big one. It's what we call 
your consciousness. And this is psychological factors. Your consciousness. What do I mean by that? How you think about you and how you talk to you. How you think about you and how you talk to you. You do realize you're talking to yourself constantly all the time. There is never a time in your life when you're not talking to you. Let me tell you something. If you talk to your friends the way you talk to you, they wouldn't be your friends. Because you are your harshest critic. I got to confess, my self-talk this week was not good. I did some things that were not like me. I missed a dinner appointment with Pastor Dustin Agard and his wife, TJ. Not only did I forget the appointment, I didn't even tell my wife about it, forgot about it. That's not like me. I flew to the funeral of my friend. So I get there, I get up 3.30 in the morning on Thursday morning, drive over to the Orlando airport, need to catch a 6.45 a.m. flight to get to the funeral on time, two o'clock that afternoon. I don't know what was wrong with me. I got in the wrong security line. I got in security line A. I went through security. I got through security line A. I couldn't find my gate. I showed the TSA agent. He said, you need to be in security line B. You got to go all the way there in the airport. And you got to go through security again. I do that, and then I get on the first train I see, and it's going to the wrong gate. I went out to the wrong gate, and I had to come back. I still made the flight, but I want to tell you something. My self-talk was not good. I said some rough things to me. Your consciousness influences your identity. What I say to me, not what other people said to me. Other people may say, you're no good. You're worthless. You'll never amount to anything. You're uncoordinated. You're ugly. You're stupid. You're a loser. We hear all that and we file that away. But if you start repeating it to yourself and you start saying it to you over and over, you start thinking things like this. That's just like me to be this. That's just like me to be that. And you say it over and over and over and it gets embedded deeper and deeper and deeper into your consciousness. Listen, your habitual thoughts are the most powerful shaper of your identity. Your habitual thoughts are your most powerful shaper of your identity. What you think about, that's your identity. You say, where'd you get that from? Book of Proverbs. Book of Proverbs says this, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. What you think about, that's who you are. Whether it's true, whether it's true or not, by the way. Proverbs 4.23 says, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. If you want your life to go in a different direction, you're going to have to get your thoughts going in a different direction. And here's the amazing thing. When you think a thought, it doesn't have to be true to hurt you. You just have to believe it. So if somebody says you're never going to amount to anything and you believe it, guess what? You're not going to amount. If you tell yourself this, this marriage isn't going to last, guess what? It's not going to last. The person who says I can and the person who says I can't are both right. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Be careful what you think because your life, your thoughts run your life. In 1980, Philip Kendall and Stephen Holland made a list of 30 thoughts that they heard their depressed patients express to them more frequently. Here's just a few of them. I feel like I'm up against the world. I'm no good. 
No one understands me. I'm so weak. I can't get started. I can't finish anything. I can't stand this anymore. What's wrong with me? I'm a failure. I'll never make it. Now, when you're doing well mentally, you read those statements and you see how misguided they are. But if you're not doing so well mentally right now, those thoughts and many more like them cycle through your brain, making you feel more worthless and depressed. Ryan Casey Waller says, distorted thinking feels like you've invited a critic who hates you to take up residence in your brain and scream at you all day and night. And then he says this, take a look at this. Our thoughts have an almost infinite power to influence the quality of mental health. Everything comes back to the stories we tell ourselves. But here is the fifth and final card that we need to talk about today. And this fifth card is so importantly because ultimately it can control all the other cards. This fifth card that makes you you is your choices. And these are volitional conditions, volitional factors. From the beginning, Scripture declares you and I were created in the image of God. No other animals were created in the image of God. Cows aren't created in the image of God. Rabbits aren't created in the image of God. Monkeys aren't created in the image of God. Only human beings are created in the image of God. What does that mean? It means a lot of things. But chief among them is this. You have a free moral choice. You have a free moral choice. Dogs and cats can't make moral choices, especially cats. <laughs> Notice the researchers did not say if you pet a cat for 20 minutes, it increased oxytocin levels. I don't know if you noticed that. Dogs and cats have instincts, but they, know the, they don't know the difference between right and wrong. You can train them to obey and not obey. There's no ethics to an elephant. We're not going to take a pack of wolves to court for devouring a deer. You and I, we're different. We have the ability to choose. That's because you're made in God's image. God made you with that wonderful ability. Freedom, listen, freedom of choice is your greatest blessing, and it's also your greatest curse. Because we make stupid choices all the time. We make dumb decisions. We make self-defeating choices. We make choices that are harmful to ourselves, our bodies, our circumstances, and everybody around us. The ability to choose is a great blessing, but it's also a curse. But here's the good news about this fifth and final card. Here's the good news. This is the wild card that trumps all the other cards that you've been dealt. Healing is a choice. Healing is a choice. You say, no, I don't know. I don't understand why you're saying that. Let me just tell you, wrap up with this. One day, Jesus encountered a man laying by a pool where people believed you could be healed if you got in the water first. Some of you know this story. It's in John chapter five. This man had been suffering physically most all of his life. And when you suffer that long physically, you're probably suffering mentally as well. And here's what Jesus said to him. Jesus said, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Healing is a choice. Turning mental illness into mental wellness begins with a choice. How does that work? I didn't get to choose my chemistry. 
but I can choose what I do with my body and how I make the most with what I've got. I can make healthy choices for my brain just like I can for my health. I can choose to seek help. I can get a head coach. That's what I call my counselor. Some of you won't, you don't get that right now. It's my head coach. I didn't choose all the relationships in my life, but I can choose how I respond to them. I can choose new relationships. I can choose to learn new relational skills. I can choose to get in a growth group. I can choose to get in a support group. I didn't choose many of the circumstances, but I certainly can choose how I respond to them. Listen, I am response-able. I'm able to respond, and that makes me responsible. And even with my consciousness, I didn't control what other people said to me. Those old mental tapes that are in continual loop in your mind, and I started to believe them. But listen, I can choose to stop believing them. And I can choose to think differently. And I can choose a different consciousness. I can focus on healthy, holy thoughts. That's the good news. And if you let it, it can change the trajectory of your life because ultimately your identity is based on your choices. And the most basic choice, the most important choice of all is to choose to be a child of God and be who he says you are. Amen? Be who he says you are. Stand with me right now. Let's stand. Lake County, stand with me right now. Thanks for letting me take a little extra time today on this message and say some things that were important, needed to be said. Father, I thank you for this church family, our Apopka campus, our Lake County campus, our online community. I love my church. And I'm so grateful I get to talk about things like this with my church. And, and there's no judgment. And there's no... A condemnation, there's no condescension, there's no sneering, there's just me too, Pastor. Me too, Pastor. I thank you for that. I pray we'll continue to be a real community and followers of Jesus. I pray we will always be about what you're about and you stood for those that suffer. And I pray, Father, we'll hold up a sign that we're here to stand with those that are suffering. And some that suffer the most are suffering with a mental illness. This is personal, not just for me and my family. This is personal for so many because we're all broken. and We all have our own broken world stories. So Father, I pray that what we've done today creates understanding. Most of all, it, it lets truth get into our minds. And Jesus, you said you'll know the truth. And when you know the truth, it'll set you free. I pray you'll set a lot of people free. In the name of Jesus, I pray this and I ask it. And we all said, amen. If you like this podcast, we post a new message every week. So make sure to click that follow button and share it with your friends. Remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. And through Jesus, anything is possible.